Welcome to the Broadcast Storm, Episode 127, Security in a Quantum Computing World. Hey everybody, this is Kevin Wallace, and in this episode of the Broadcast Storm, I thought we would discuss an emerging security issue that you're going to be hearing more and more about, and that is with quantum computing on the horizon, and some people already have quantum computers, how do we protect data? Are we at risk with existing uh, encryption algorithms? Well, to begin with, let's review just a couple of encryption basics. There are two basic types of encryption, symmetric and asymmetric. So if you and I want to communicate securely, we can run an algorithm like AES, the Advanced Encryption Standard. And if you and I have the same key, a secret key that we both possess, we plug that key into the algorithm and that algorithm does the number crunching along with the data that we want to encrypt. And I can send it to you. You've got the key. You can decrypt it. That is symmetric encryption because we've both got the same key. We have symmetric keys. Well, that's great if we both have the same keys. However, what if we're in a situation like buying something from Amazon.com on the internet where we're not going to have the same key that Amazon does? How does that work? Well, that's going to use asymmetric encryption like RSA encryption. Let's say, for example, that I do go to Amazon.com to purchase something. And when I'm about to check out, I look up in that URL bar in my browser and I notice that there's a padlock icon. It varies based on your browser, but I get some assurance that I have a secure connection. So my credit card information is not going to be visible to anybody that might intercept my packets. How is that working, though? Well, when I set up this secure connection with Amazon, Amazon sent me what's called their digital certificate. Their digital certificate contains different types of information such as when is the certificate no longer valid, but it also contains Amazon.com's public key. You see here, we don't have a shared secret key like we do with AES, where we're doing symmetric encryption. Here, Amazon.com sends me their public key, and they're in possession of their private key. And the way it works is, if I encrypt something with their public key, it can only be decrypted with their private key, which only they have. And the corollary is true as well. If something is encrypted with their private key, it can only be decrypted with their public key. One of the downsides of asymmetric encryption, however, is that it is comparatively slow. It is really slow compared to symmetric encryption. So what I'm going to do when I'm making my purchase from Amazon is I want to switch over and start using symmetric encryption. Well, how do we do that? Well, my computer is going to come up with this big random number. That's going to be our shared secret key that we can use for symmetric encryption using an algorithm like AES. So I'm going to take this big number generated by my computer. I'm going to encrypt it with Amazon's public key and send it back to Amazon. And they're going to decrypt it with their private key, which only they have. And then they'll see this big number that my computer generated. That's going to be our session key. We both have the same key for this transaction. And if somebody intercepted the packet where I was sending this secret key to Amazon, they would not be able to interpret it, even if they had Amazon's public key. Because remember, if something is encrypted with their public key, it can only be decrypted with their private key. And that attacker that captured my packet, they would not have that private key. So now, Amazon and I, we can switch over and start using symmetric encryption for the duration of this session. However, how do I know that this digital certificate really came from Amazon? Couldn't we have a malicious user that made a fake certificate and said, we're Amazon.com and here's our public key? How do we know it's really Amazon? Well, we know it's Amazon because it has been signed. 
by a trusted third party. This trusted third party is called a CA. And depending on what literature you read, that CA stands for Certificate Authority or Certification Authority. And there are different companies out there that are CAs. And the first one that comes to mind is VeriSign. So let's say that Amazon and VeriSign have worked together to give Amazon.com a signed digital certificate that they'll then send out to their customers. When I say that VeriSign has signed the digital certificate, what I mean is VeriSign has encrypted that digital certificate with VeriSign's private key. And remember, if something has been encrypted with a private key, it can only be decrypted with a public key. So I get this encrypted certificate from Amazon signed by VeriSign. How do I read it? Well, built into my browser, if you go poking around the security menus of your browser, you can probably find this big listing of certificate authorities. And you can find VeriSign as one of those. And you can see VeriSign's public key. It's built into your browser. So you're going to get this certificate from Amazon. You're going to take the public VeriSign key as an example, and you're going to unlock it. You're going to decrypt it, and that's going to reveal Amazon.com's digital certificate. And you know that it's valid because you just decrypted it using VeriSign's public key. Now you can trust that Amazon's public key that you just got in this digital certificate, you can trust that it's legit. And you can then make your big random number, you can encrypt it, send it to Amazon, and you're off doing symmetric encryption. That's an overview of symmetric versus asymmetric encryption. Now how does all this tie in to quantum computing? Well, the discussion can get quite mathematical, but let's take a look at it from a conceptual standpoint. The way these encryption algorithms work is based on how difficult it is for a computer to factor prime numbers, or more specifically, semi-prime numbers. Now, remember what a prime number is from school? A prime number is a number, an integer, that is only divisible by one and itself. For example, 4 would not be a prime number because we can not only divide 4 by 1 and get the integer result of 4, we could divide 4 by 2 and we would get a result of 2. So that's not a prime number. But 3, there is no other integer that we can divide 3 by and get an even number other than 1. And of course, itself. And it's very easy to multiply two prime numbers together. That's just a multiplication problem. For example, let's take the prime number of 7,703, and we can multiply that by the prime number of 5,113. I found those on a prime number table on the internet. And that would give us 39,385,439. And those are small prime numbers compared to what's used by the encryption algorithms. But I wanted to give you the sense that it's easy to multiply two numbers together. But it's very difficult for someone to take that and try to figure out what two prime numbers did you use to create that product. And that product is called a semi-prime number because you multiplied two prime numbers together to get that number. And if we use numbers that are big enough, then it's going to become computationally almost impossible for traditional computers like we have today to figure out what two prime numbers you used. However, if we have one of the parties in this conversation that knows one of the prime numbers, they can easily figure out what the other prime number is. They just divide that product by the prime number they have. So having one of those prime numbers, that's equivalent to being able to factor that product into prime numbers. And that's how encryption has kept our data safe for years, because there's not some simple way to 
just say, give me the prime factorization of this number. It's more of a trial and error thing. However, with quantum computing, it might be possible to do a fairly quick factorization of a semi-prime number. You see, with quantum computing, we're not dealing with a regular bit, which is either a 1 or a 0. Instead, we're dealing with a qubit, spelled Q-U-B-I-T. And this is not just a 1 or a 0. That deals with the probability that a value is a 1 or a 0. For example, imagine we flip a coin in the air. When we catch it and look at that coin, we observe the coin, then we can know with certainty that it's either heads or tails. But as it's spinning in the air, there's a 50% probability that it's going to be heads and a 50% probability that it's going to be tails. So at that time, in the quantum world, we say that that coin is simultaneously both heads and tails. And there's a video clip on YouTube I'd like you to check out that does a beautiful job explaining this concept of quantum mechanics. It's sort of a cartoon that shows you what's called the double slit experiment. And it demonstrates the concept in quantum computing that until something is observed, it's just an equation representing all possibilities. And I'll put a link to that video down in the show notes. But when you dig into the math, you see that if we have 265 qubits, that can hold as many values as we have atoms in the universe. And quantum computing is really fast because it uses the concept of superposition and entanglement. For example, if you have these two particles that are entangled and you separate them from one another and you make a change to one of them, the other one that's entangled with it it makes that change at exactly the same time. So let's say you make a change to one of those particles indicating a bit value of one. The other particle immediately changes to that same bit value of one. And it doesn't matter if those two particles are separated by a couple of feet in a laboratory or if they're separated by miles or if they're separated by light years. And I know that's a hard one to get your head around to think that you can make a change on Earth and something that's on Jupiter would change instantaneously. We're not limited by the speed of light or anything like that. It's an instantaneous change. That's the power of quantum computing. We can do calculations almost instantaneously. And it's kind of cool that IBM lets you experiment with quantum computing. They allow you to write quantum programs and run them on their quantum computer. And I'll put a link in the show notes if you want to go out and play with that. It's called the IBM Quantum Experience. But to put this in perspective for security, let's say that we're doing asymmetric encryption and we have a 3072-bit RSA key. Well, there's an algorithm out there that we could run on a quantum computer. That algorithm is Shor's algorithm, and it's called a polynomial time quantum computer algorithm for integer factorization. And that's a mouthful, but what that means is if we run that algorithm on a quantum computer, we could take that 3072-bit RSA key and break it down to only 26 bits of security. And while our typical modern computer would not be able to do anything with that 3072-bit RSA key, the computing power of a cell phone could break that 26-bit key. And talking about AES, the Advanced Encryption Standard, quantum computers can reduce the effective bits by a factor of two. For example, if you have a 128-bit AES key, using quantum computers, it's about as difficult to break that key as it would be a 64-bit AES key. So the good news is, since AES-128 is so strong, you can just double that. You can start using AES-256, and you've effectively got the protection of 128-bit AES. 
even against quantum computers. So just by making that slight change, you've already defended yourself quite a bit. But there certainly are emerging quantum-safe algorithms. And at Cisco Live last year, I attended a session where they were talking about how Cisco was going to be implementing quantum-safe encryption algorithms. But to sum up what we've talked about, we said there are two types of encryption. Symmetric, where we both have the same key, and asymmetric, where I have a public key and you have a private key or vice versa. And we said that we could protect data by multiplying two prime numbers together to create a semi-prime number, making it computationally difficult to figure out what those two prime numbers were. But if you've got one of those two prime numbers, it's like you were able to do that factorization. However, interquantum computing, which is able to do that math much more quickly and dramatically reduce the effectiveness of an encryption algorithm. However, we can just beef up our encryption algorithms a little bit. For example, go from AES-128 to AES-256 or eventually start using quantum-safe algorithms to better protect our data. And to learn more about this, I'm going to include a couple of links again in the show notes. One link is that YouTube video for the cartoon explaining the double slit experiment, and the other link is to the IBM Quantum Experience. And I hope you've enjoyed this episode, and I look forward to spending time with you again on the next episode of The Broadcast Storm. Mm-hmm.